This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you? Oh, not bad, mate. Not bad. Can't complain too much. How about you? Good, thank you. Rare Saturday off because Blackburn, of course, played on Friday night, which was a late one getting back from the potteries, especially in the snow. Um, but yeah, I had Saturday off and then been busy working this afternoon, um, although there's been plenty of good football on to keep me company. Yeah, there's been a few games in the Premier League today that I've been on duty for one of them, Man United-Southampton. The only one without any goals in it, typically. But um, yeah, not the not the best result for Man United today, but... Um, Couple of cup games to take them through to the national break, and hopefully they'll get back back on track in them. But yeah, a bit of a bit of a boring one today, to be honest. Bit of a bit of a downer in a game you'd expect them to to win quite comfortably. What wasn't a downer, George, was the championship weekend. Great segue. Um, we've got plenty to go through on this week's podcast. Off the field problems, another managerial change. It is. Uh, about time for Watford in fairness and plenty more to get into over the next hour or so so make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed which you can find on all your usual platforms and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at champchatpod24 a massive thank you as always to our sponsors Cards Accepted for supporting the podcast this season if you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees visit cardsaccepted.co.uk they provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And as I say, on today's podcast, plenty to get into as we dive in and off the field after another busy weekend of Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, we're going to start at Loftus Road, where there was a managerial change for Watford this week. QPR beat Watford 1-0 in what was Chris Wilder's first game, Wild Thing versus Wilder in as is being uh, dubbed. And Queen's Park Rangers got their first win in about 47 matches, beating Chris Wilder <laughs> at the first attempt. Massive win for QPR. We'll just box them off first before we go into the uh, the plethora of uh, discussion that we need to have about Watford as usual. Um, QPR, big win for them. First win since Ainsworth obviously took the reins after two disappointing 3-1 defeats. And ultimately, it massively helps their bid to stay up. I don't think... It's hard to say that you never really thought a team was going to go down when they hadn't won in, what, was it 18 games? But 18, 19, something I think like we that. all know realistically they were going to stay up. They were going to only need a few more points. It gives them a nice bit of breathing room. And Timmy Robinson with the goal, a little bit fortunate how it broke back to him, but after that took it round the defence and really good finish left-footed. He has had a lot of rave reviews since Ainsworth's come in. He's been playing in a more advanced role. I saw that for myself in Ainsworth's first game when Blackburn beat them. And this was probably perhaps his best performance in a hoop shirt on loan from Aston Villa, of course. He's, he's very skillful. He's got athleticism. He can shoot on both feet. You want to see him add a little bit more consistency in that final third. But he's certainly someone who's bringing a little bit of creativity to that Queen's Park Rangers team, which they've been crying out for of late with uh, Elias Chair and Chris Willock sidelined. I noticed Lyndon Dykes was back, which will be a big boost for them. Lyndon Dykes and Chris Martin starting up front. Um, very Ainsworth-esque. Now, on to Watford. It's Slaven Bilic out, Chris Wilder in, 159 days. Um, Slaven Bilic lasted at the Vicarage Road. Not bad going, that, to be fair. No, not bad 
um, going for Watford standards. They went to a 3-4-1-2, as we'd expect under Wilder. That's very much what he's played at Middlesbrough, at Sheffield United, with jo- Joao Pedro playing as a number 10 behind Ismail Star and Keenan Davis. And what do you think of the appointment? Because I, I think, obviously, it's another manager gone at Watford. We, I've got to be honest, I don't enjoy covering Watford. I, I don't like and personally agree with how they treat human beings as much as anything and their philosophy, but it's what they do. I can't be bothered to get into it for the third time on this season's podcast. But I don't I don't particularly enjoy covering Watford. I don't particularly want to see them do well as a neutral because I just don't agree with the hire and fire approach. That's just my personal opinion. Do I think Chris Wilder's more likely to get some success out of this team than Slavin Bilic? From from Watford's point of view, you ultimately have to say that their club statement was pretty honest and pretty you can't really argue with the fact that January's gone. We can't change the players. We don't think we're going to finish in the top six. All we can do is change the manager. And I don't think they would have got in the top six with Slavin Bilic. It was quite stale. It was quite slow-paced football. It wasn't getting the best out of a group of talented players, although very few people seem to be able to get a group out of this talented squad at the moment. Chris Wilder equally... Someone we rate very highly for the job he did at Sheffield United. Undoubtedly, things didn't go great at Middlesbrough, despite a good start. And this is probably a good deal for Wilder as well, because would there have been that many top half championship clubs desperate to get him in based on not so much the jobs he did in the previous two, but more the way that he left them, the fallout after where, you know, it was quite clear, big public fallings out with with the director of football at Middlesbrough and with the owner at Sheffield United. I think that probably would have made a few clubs think twice about bringing him in, not necessarily because of his managerial pedigree, but do you want the baggage that potentially comes with that when the fallout comes? Um, So I think this is a good job for him, which is a very rare thing to say about a manager going to Watford. I think that it's a decent one for Watford because he's got promotion experience. Ultimately, Chris Wilder is someone that can galvanise a dressing room and make a team play better than some of its parts. Now, if you can get Watford playing better than some of its parts, you've probably got title winners. So if you can get them playing on par with how they should and basically look like a team rather than just a talented group of individual players, then they might have a chance of getting the top six. Undoubtedly, they're going to have to go not far off automatic promotion form between now and the end of the season because they've lost a lot of ground in the last 10 to 15 games under Billich and obviously losing at Wilder's first game in charge. George, what was your initial reaction to the appointment? Well, to be honest with you, I was quite surprised actually. I thought, you know, we were, you know, we're entering towards the business end of the season. I did actually think Watford might just stick with Slavin Bilic till the end of the campaign. You know, they're not a million miles off the playoffs. Obviously, they're not as close as they'd like to be, but it's certainly not a a gap that's impossible to bridge with the games that are left. But you know, we know with Watford's policy that if you're not doing, you know, what the owners think should be ultimately performing like Real Madrid, it seems, then, you know, you've got to go. And that's obviously what's happened. Chris Wilder's come in, as you've said, till the end of the season initially. You know, you can't really get many better managers than him at this level. I know things didn't go well at Middlesbrough, let's be honest. It was, you know, a really underwhelming spell for him there. But you've got to think back and recognise what he did at Sheffield United, what he did before that at Northampton, Oxford, you know, except for his, his time at Middlesbrough, he's done a fantastic job wherever he's been. And, you know, a few months at Borough can't damage his reputation too much for what he's done previously. So if they see the best of Chris Wilder, it's a really good appointment. But, you know, he's gone in there to a team, obviously, with the the ambitions of getting back to the Premier League at the first attempt this season. 
And at the moment, following that result on Saturday at QPR, they are now six points adrift of the playoff places. They haven't got a game in hand. You know that everybody in the in the running in the chase has now played an equal amount of games. So they are going to have to, you know, go full throttle for the rest of the season in these ten games that are left. It is a ten game shootout pretty much for Watford now. So I think Watford, you know, their policy is never going to change. That that's quite obvious. So. With Wilder now, they've got to try and find a way to get the best out of a squad that, in my opinion, is massively underperforming. I think you look at Watford's stats, I think it's one win now in, in the last nine games. They failed to score in each of the last three. And, you know, when you look at the attacking talent that they've got, that's really concerning, the fact that they've gone three games without scoring a single goal. And, you know, prior to this little blip that they're experiencing at the minute, they beat West Bromwich Albion. At that point, you thought they're, they're, they've got to kick on from that. They've beaten one of the playoff rivals. They've got to use that now as mental strength and confidence to move forward. And that's just not happened. You know, they failed to score against Sheffield United. Admittedly, Bramall Lane, not an easy place to go this season for many. But, you know, Preston at home, QPR away, the run that both those teams have been on. You know, to have not scored neither of them, that's a real concern. And for Chris Wilder now... You know, he's not got the, the luxury this week of a full week on the training ground. He's got straight into another game on um, Tuesday night, as we record this on Sunday. And they've got Birmingham at home on Tuesday. And, you know, you, you could almost judge that as must-win for Watford in the sense that if they don't, others around them are going to, you know, they're going to get that next step a little bit further away from them towards the top six. And, you know, Birmingham at home, no disrespect to Birmingham. If you want to get in the top six, this is a game you've got to win. So... Chris Wilder now, he's got obviously two games before the international break, I think it is. He's got um, Birmingham on Tuesday and then Wigan on Saturday at home. That has to be six points. If they are serious about getting in the top six, it's got to be six points. So, you know, Chris Wilder ideally would have probably liked a clean week on the train ground until the weekend, but obviously the fixtures are coming thick and fast. But beyond that, obviously he's got two weeks with the international break. So he's going to be interesting. He's not got a lot of time to put things in place. Obviously he's lost his first game, would have been disappointed with that. But, you know, he only had two, three days on the training ground with his players. So I don't think he'll be too concerned. It's probably, though, not until after the international break, where potentially, depending on how these two games go in the next few days, it could be too late before we see the real Watford under, under Chris Wilder. So I think it's a good appointment in terms of getting somebody who obviously knows how to do the job in this league and knows what it takes. But it's just a case of how, can he, how quickly can he get misfiring players moving again? Because the stats speak for themselves. Watford are not performing to the potential. And like I say, to have gone three games just without scoring a single goal for a team that, you know, is is littered with a lot of attacking talent, that is a concern. So they've got to do something, Watford. Only three league wins this calendar year so far. We're at mid-March now nearly. So, you know, it's a big challenge, but if we can get them into the top six and, you know, put a run together in the in the in between now and the end of the season, would you bet against them in the playoffs under Wilder? Possibly not, but I do think it's a bit ass, but time will tell. Sheffield United, they lost ground in the automatic playoff uh, promotion race. They lost 1-0 to Luton Town. Carlton Morris with the near post finish. Great setup play by uh, Elijah Adebayo. Nutmeg, John Fleck to get to the byline. Flashed across the face of goal and Morris at the front post finishing well. He's been an absolutely brilliant signing, hasn't he? Let's talk about Carlton Morris for a minute because his numbers are brilliant. He scored 15 goals. He's also got five assists. And it feels like with every season we're watching him, he's getting better and better. For, for me, he's been undoubtedly one of the signings of the season. I think a lot of Luton's best play last season, you you were worried that if Adebayo got injured, what would Luton do? Now, he stayed fit, he scored a lot of goals, stayed 
in the uh, playoff places. But I felt they really strengthened the squad in terms of depth. And I said this, and I predicted them to finish in the top six in my in my um, uh, pre-season predictions. And it's because I thought they had more depth. They added Woodrow, they added Morris, they added Luke Freeman. I know he's not played a lot, but this was the thinking back in, in August. And Adab- um, Carlton Morris has been absolutely sensational. And it's a good job because Adebayo has dropped off a little bit this season. And this fairy tale under Rob Edwards continues. And I think Rob Edwards, we generally see, is quite a reserved character. He's, he's a complete contrast to Nathan Jones, who is obviously very bullish, very outspoken. So to see the sort of celebrations at the end with Rob Edwards going up and really giving it some to that away end. They picked up the most points on the road in the league this season, George, with 34. That is a phenomenal effort. And they're just a really, really good side. They're starting to strike me a little bit like Brentford, where each year they're starting to creep up and up and up a little bit more. And I just wonder if they don't go up this season, and I think they're going to finish in the playoffs, I would be more confident, probably outside of obviously Middlesbrough or Sheffield United in third. I would say they are the team I am most confident will finish in that one of those final three playoff places. I think that next season, it wouldn't shock me if they went and built again, and then maybe it's a top two push. I just think in the next five years, if Luton carry on the way they are, I feel like we're going to see Luton in the Premier League. I just feel like it was one of those weekends where you just start to really realise there's something really, really special building there. They've not been at the top of the league all season either. They've had to lose. They've lost their manager. And yet, look where they are. And with the budget, yes, they spent a bit more in the summer. Of course they did because they want to challenge at the top. But still, for the, the budget for the size of the club compared to the rest of the league, they are punching well above their weight. Carlton Morris has been a phenomenal signing, and I really do think Luton Town are going to finish in the playoffs again this season. It's been remarkable, really, when you think about it, for many of the reasons you've looked at. I'm just analysing their their results now since Rob Edwards came in. And, you know, they've lost three league games since he came in. Those three league games were against Middlesbrough, West Brom and Burnley. So, not exactly three teams that, you know, you can be too angry for to losing to, to losing against. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, they were, after that defeat at Middlesbrough, which was the first game after the World Cup break, which was Rob Edwards' first game, Luton were 13th in the table. You know, they, they've had to climb their way up, you know, up the ladder. They, they started a real run of, you know, good form over Christmas, beating Norwich, winning at QPR. That was a really good couple of results. And, you know, they've just kept it going. You know, they've kept building. And in the last few weeks, you know, they, they've, they've beaten Birmingham away from home. You know, it... It's one of those, for example, Birmingham away, you know, one that you'd like to win but could so easily be a banana skin. They went there, professional job, 1-0 win. Then, obviously, they, they fought back from 2-0 down against Millwall to get a point. They followed that up with back-to-back wins against Swansea and Sheffield United. And I'll be honest, that win at Bramall Lane on Saturday, to me, came as no surprise. I really fancied Luton to do it with their away record this season. And you've mentioned there about them having the best away record in the league this season with 34 points. They've already taken more points away this season than they managed in the whole of last season already. And they've still I've got got a similar flat. stat about another team chasing the playoffs that have got more points away from home this season. Uh, I've got a funny feeling knew that could be. But uh, yeah, Luton, I mean, they've got another five away games left to go as well. So, you know, they could really rack up the points if they keep it up with their away form. But, you know, for all the reasons you've said, they, you know, they've strengthened the squad both in the summer and did a little bit in January as well. And, you know, you look at it and... Luton up front, obviously, Carlton Morris is the man getting all the headlines now. But you obviously, we saw the, the quality of Adebayo to set the goal up at the weekend. You've got Corley Woodrow in reserve. 
that's three championship strikers that although they're not, you know, considered as, I don't know, say if you were playing, I don't know, for example, you were playing FIFA Ultimate Team or something, there wouldn't be three like top-level strikers you'd turn to, but they're three solid championship strikers. Who all I think we should players. be speaking about Carl Morris in that bracket now. <laughs> well, he certainly is now. You know, 15 goals this season now. Only Chuba Akpum and Victor Jokeres have got more than him this season, which, you know, speaks volumes. He's he's scored three in his last four. You know, the last three wins have all been by one goal to nil with the goals that he's scored. So, you know, it's quite evident that, you know, Rob Edwards has turned him into a a top-end championship striker. And it just, as I said a couple of weeks ago, it just feels like a match made in heaven with Luton and Rob Edwards because... For me, Rob Edwards got absolutely shafted at Watford. It was totally unfair what they did to him so soon into that into that tenure. But at Luton, it just feels like the perfect fit for him. And, you know, in a way, Nathan Jones moving to Southampton might have been a blessing in disguise for Luton, as, you know, mortified as that might have been for some Luton fans at the time. But I think Rob Edwards has proven himself to be even better because he's come in, you know, straight away, carried on what was in place. He's had no, you know, no pre-season to, to get to work with this group of players. He's just carried it on the momentum. They're playing some really good football. And, you know, you look at the run of results. They've only lost one game since the 14th of January, and that was at home to Burnley. There's no there's no disgrace in that with the way they've been going. So they're looking a really good bet. And I have to agree with you. I think, you know, out of those four teams that are going to finish in the top six, in, in the uh, four playoff places, I should say, I would say Luton, obviously with the exception of either the Blades or Middlesbrough, do look the most likely to get in there. And I think another big thing for Luton as well, which is going to be key for them, is that they've got one of the best defensive records in the league as well. Just 34 goals conceded this season. You know, that's that's less than the Middlesbrough conceded. It's less than Blackburn, less than Middlesbrough, less than Norwich. So they have got that defensive solidity that they can rely on as well as obviously Carlton Morris's goals. And, you know, people might look at them and think they're only winning 1-0. They're not really being overly convincing. It doesn't matter. If you're winning games 1-0, you're getting the job done. You're being professional. You're being resolute. And that's exactly what Luton are doing. Three clean sheets in four. And, you know, you look at their next two games ahead of the international break. Bristol City at home on Wednesday night and then Sunderland away next Saturday. They'll fancy the chance of getting, you know, six points out of those two. It won't be easy, but, you know, you wouldn't bet against them. Certainly away from home at the minute. That's the really important thing. Four defeats in six for Sheffield United, George. They won at Reading in midweek, which gave them that seven-point buffer. They've now surrendered that. It's back down to four. They're struggling for creativity at the minute. They've only scored once in the last three games. Illiman and Jai still playing well, but he's not really scoring. McBurney's not been notching in the same sort of vein of form that he was before the uh, before the World Cup break. Seen a lot of criticism for Xander Berger. As well in the in the last few weeks, We've got a fair few Sheffield United friends who have said he's been really out of sorts and doesn't really deserve a place in the team at the minute. Things just not quite going for them, and they've not quite looked right since the World Cup break. Despite picking up results, I've flagged it a few times. The amount of territory they're giving up, conceding possession, trying to play a little bit more transitionally, I think at times, and it, I, I, they just don't look quite the same side they were in that first block of the season. How concerned do you think they should be? Well, I think they've got every right to be concerned, to be honest with you. I did, obviously, I've not seen the Blades, you know, frequently this season. I watched them uh, at Blackburn a week last Saturday in the second half and thought they were really, really poor, really sluggish. Thought Blackburn, had, you know, they did, they'd got them nailed down to a tee to how they wanted to restrict them and they did it with ease, to be honest with you. But I think, you know, when you're chasing automatic promotion, you know, 
we've got 10 games to go now. I think this is the point where you can say we are on the home straight. 10 games, it's the final sprint to the finish line. You know, once we get the international break out of the way, the Easter period comes, you know, that's when we know we are in the real business end. But to have lost four of your last six at this stage of the season when you're going for automatic promotion is a concern. To hit, you know, hit a bit of a bit of a bump in the road like this at this stage is going to be, you know, it's going to concern Paul Heckingbottom because they've obviously been riding high with Burnley for so long. And, you know, we've been saying it's only been a matter of time for themselves and Burnley have got a P rubber stamp next to their name. That doesn't look quite as convincing now. And, you you know, they've, they've lost the way in terms of their home form as well, which was obviously so important. They've lost two of the last three at home now. And like you've said, that they are struggling to put the ball in the back of the net. They've only scored twice in four games. You know, for a team that's got top two aspirations, that that's not good enough, really. So I think the Blades fans will be concerned. They will be worried. But crucially, we've seen with Sheffield United, when they want to play, they can play. That's the important thing. Obviously, they've got a big FA Cup quarterfinal with Blackburn to come at the weekend. So they've only got one game before the international break. Middlesbrough, of course, have got two. So, you know, if the Blades win in midweek when they uh, go to Sunderland, obviously they'll have the, the, the confidence that they will go into the, um, the international break in second place, regardless of what Middlesbrough do in those two games. But if they got knocked out of the top two going into that international break, that could be a real psychological blow for Sheffield United and obviously a confidence booster for Borough. So I think there's going to be a few twists and turns in this race to come. I really do. I think, you know, the Blades obviously have been occupying second spot for so long. Middlesbrough have been charging them down for, you know, quite a while now. And as we approach the home straight, all of a sudden, Middlesbrough look as though they've got it in them to catch them. So United need to find a way to respond. They go to Sunderland on on Wednesday night. For me, that is a must-win game because after the international break, the Blades go to Norwich. Then, you know, the next away game is Burnley. So they've got some really big games coming up. And I do think Middlesbrough's fixtures in comparison on paper do look that little bit easier. So big period for the Blades, but, you know, four defeats in six. It's a really worrying trend at this stage of the season. Middlesbrough took full advantage. They won 3-1 at Swansea City, closing the gap to four points, as I said. Clinical and a pulsating second-half performance, which we've come to expect from Michael Carrick's side, got themselves back in the game. Good character to respond to going behind to a Joel Pirot goal. We've seen Middlesbrough do concede goals, but the thing is, George, they put them in the back of the net as well. They are averaging um, plenty of goals every match. Aaron Ramsey, again, in good form with a fine finish to equalise. Cameron Archer with a clinical strike as well for 2-1 and then a penalty from Tuba Akpom the Leeds the league's leading marksman I have to say it was a ridiculous challenge from Latibode I don't know what he's thinking Ryland McGree's going away from goal on his weaker foot and he just sives him down really idiotic challenge and it really looks like we've got a proper race on now Middlesbrough's fixtures look the kindest and I'm re- really intrigued how this Middlesbrough side has sort of evolved over the course of the season. We had the back three with Wilder, with Giles and Isaiah Jones bombing on. Isaiah Jones not been a starter for a while now. It's been Marcus Force on the right. Now it's Aaron Ramsey and Riley McGree um, right and left. The, the team's evolved. It had obviously Matt Crooks up front for a little bit. Ike Pommers the 10. Now Archer's back in. Hayden Hackney's emerged. I, I think if, if, we'd, it told, if you told me at the start of the season that what would Middlesbrough starting 11 be going into the final 10 games of the season? I don't think anyone would have predicted this. 
even with obviously like the January edition, a couple of January editions. So it's really intriguing to me how they've evolved. But no matter who's on the pitch in that attacking quartet, they've got a style of play and a philosophy that you can just plug and play. You can put whoever you want in these positions, and you know, players out of position as well. From what we we know from them, and they're just getting the job done. They look devastating going forward. They they are still a little bit open at the back, as we said, and it might catch them out one game where they just can't quite get the you know, can't score the two or three goals they need to win the game. But ultimately, right now, very hard to look away from Middlesbrough because they do have a nicer run of fixtures as well to finish the season. They really do. And, you know, the confidence in that squad just must be absolutely flowing at top level. I mean, you look at Michael Carrick's numbers. His first managerial job, 15 wins from his first 20 league games in charge. The impact has been absolutely phenomenal. 18 positions they've jumped since he got the job. His first game, which he lost at Preston. But since then, I mean, the run that they've put together and the consistency has just been phenomenal. And you, you've mentioned there about obviously being suspect defensively, which they are. Clean sheets have not been a, a key trait for Michael Carrick since he got that job. They've not kept many at all, but they are scoring goals at such a rapid rate, aren't they? I mean, they've scored something like, I think, three or more in something like four of the last six games or something like that. It's just it's just ridiculous. No, four of the last five, I should say, um, that they've scored three or more. So it just proves that they know where the net is. Chubrak Pom is obviously absolutely on fire. Cameron Archer is delivering the goods now, and Ramsey as well. And, you know, the spirit and the togetherness in that team, the confidence is just flowing around the whole club. You, you would honestly back them to beat Sheffield United to second spot at the minute. Their momentum is in their sails. And one thing that I think is striking for me, you've mentioned it, is Middlesbrough's fixture list in the in the running. I think this is really important in comparison to Sheffield United. And this is the big thing. Middlesbrough's next three games, Stoke at home on Tuesday night, not going to be easy. Stoke obviously have found a bit of form themselves recently. And then Preston at home on Saturday, straight after the international break, Huddersfield away. So, you know, you look at those next three games and you would you would be pretty confident to think Middlesbrough could get nine points from those next three ahead of a big game at Burnley on the 7th of April, which, you know, uh, at the Riverside, the way they've been going, I wouldn't bet against them giving Burnley a run for the money either. So I honestly think Middlesbrough have got it in them. They they obviously playing much better at the minute. They're getting results on the board. They're scoring goals. They're doing everything that Sheffield United aren't. That's the big difference here. They're doing everything that the Blades aren't. And obviously they beat the Blades not long ago. But Middlesbrough, in that remaining crop of fixtures, they've also got to play the likes of Luton, Norwich, um, Coventry as well. So, you know, they've not got the, you know, all the bottom end teams. They have got some, you know, middle of the road playoff contenders. So it's not all plain sailing and easy, but it does look better than Sheffield United is running. So for me, Borough, the next two games to take them up to the break, you know, if the Blades slip up in midweek, Middlesbrough have got a good chance to go into the pause in second spot with wins against Stoke and Preston. Obviously, at home, they've been absolutely unbelievable under Michael Carrick so far. So, you know, come next weekend, we could be sat here talking about Middlesbrough having taken nine points from nine in a week. So, big week for Borough this, but with the way they're going at the minute, you'd be foolish to bet against them with, with taking six points on these two next two games. Burnley free, Wigan Athletic, nil relentless again from the Clarets at Turf Moor. They remain unbeaten at home, trying not to get bored of talking about Burnley and because we do need to pay them the respect they deserve. But it's really difficult when it's just saying the same things. It's very hard to find new things to say about them. 
Two more goals for Nathan Teller. This is a new one. A first goal for Lyle Foster in English football, really nicely set up by Michael Obafemi. The the strength of their forward line and who they've got on the bench is quite silly, to be, to be completely honest with you. They've got 80 points already with 10 to go, George, so they need 26 to match Reading's record. So that's uh, two draws they can afford to match it or one defeat and nine wins. Will they do it? Well, funnily enough, I've actually drafted a tweet saying exactly the same thing for our podcast page for tomorrow, Monday. I think they've got it in them. You know, they are proving just absolutely relentless, aren't they? They are a winning machine. I think the numbers would suggest they've won nine of the last ten before. Well, they've got better. Well, it's certainly possible, without a doubt. But, but their remaining games do feature games against Middlesbrough and Sheffield United, which, of course, could be... All uh, you know, all the more important for the opposition rather than them. But we've seen what they're capable of this season. They have still got to play the likes of Rotherham, Cardiff, you know, QPR at home. You'd expect them to win those sort of games. They've got to go to Reading as well. So you know, you never know. I think they've got it in them, but do I think they'll do it? I think because of the nature of the games they've got coming up, they've also got a big derby with Blackburn to come as well before the end of the season. I think they might just fall short of getting those nine wins that they need to map it to beat Reading's record. Not impossible with the way they've been going, but I'm going to lean towards saying no. But, you know, whether they beat it or not, they're going up as champions. There's absolutely no dispute about that. Another home win, you know, it's just an absolute nailed on for them to win at home, isn't it? The home form is absolutely ridiculous, to be quite honest. But a word on Nathan Teller. I mean, that young man, for me, one of the best loan signs, I think, in the championship for a very, very long time. He's been absolutely well, superb. The, signings, full stop. the way he's, you know, adapted to the way Vincent Kudmany's played. He's played in quite a few positions across the front line. Fourteen league goals now. The fact that he's come in, you know, as a as a left winger, and now he's playing more of as a number ten, scoring nearly every week. You know, the fact that only three players in the league have scored more than him this season for a player that you know he's he's still relatively young, learning his trade. He's been absolutely superb and, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised. Quite convenient talking about transfers considering Burnley have been placed under a transfer embargo this evening. But, you know, if they get to the Premier League, obviously there'll be no um, restrictions from the EFL on them. And, you know, you would you would think Southampton will go down Nathan Teller's parent club. You'd have thought Burnley would be all over it trying to sign him on a permanent basis. And based on what we've seen this season, he's definitely got what it takes to play in the Premier League one day. So... He's playing brilliantly. Burnley are just on fire. And yeah, as I say, the uh, Claret and Blue Ribbons have been long since tied around the Championship Trophy and it shouldn't really be an awful uh, lot longer before uh, they've got their hands on it because as far as I'm aware, it's job done. It has been for quite a long time. Yeah, you just mentioned it there, George. Bit of housekeeping. Burnley are under a transfer embargo as of this evening. Um, This is to do with the club changing auditors in November and it's taken longer than needed, so they haven't submitted their accounts um, in time, which has meant they've been placed in a, uh, a temporary transfer embargo. Reading between the lines, I don't think it's a great deal to worry about, if I'm being completely honest. Unlike Wigan Athletic, George, who, whilst getting beat off the pitch and looking like they might be going down to League One, they've got some real worries off the field. Late payments of wages for the fourth time in six months. They had a free a suspended three points um, with the EFL, which now looks like it will apply, which would put them nine points adrift of safety. You know, they've done, John Maloney's done a decent job since he went in there. I think he has made them a better side, certainly than they were under Colo Torre. But 
Couldn't have been to be losing points at this stage of the season because of late payments of wages, and and it's now say it's far from the first time this has happened. That that could realistically send them down if we're being honest. Can we see them making up a nine point haul on the teams above them? I certainly can't, and it's just a real shame after all the mess that Wigan went through um, last time they were in the championship, which effectively relegated them under Paul Cook. They were sat comfortably mid table when the twelve point deduction came in, and. Of course, it's not as bad as that, and and certainly we're not at the same level of concern. But nonetheless, to to, to have payments played late four times in six months is a real concern. They probably were going to get relegated anyway, but this is only creating a much more uphill task. And it must demotivate the players as well, because even if they do get themselves out of it, who's to say that more points deductions and off-the-field drama won't follow them? So a real concern for Wigan Athletic. Yeah, without a doubt, it is a, a real kick in the teeth at the minute. You know, they're already down on the floor and, you know, they've just been kicked that little bit harder. And again, it's the players and the fans that are, you know, unable to control this problem. It's not their fault and they're the ones that are going to suffer because, you know, on the pitch, it already looks destined that they're going to be relegated and this just, you know, just compounds their woes that little bit further. But you have to feel sorry for them because obviously they went through this a couple of years ago, like you said, then obviously they were, they were favourites last season to drop into League Two. They won the League One title under Liam Richardson, got promoted. Brilliant feel good factor about the place. You know, Richardson, in my opinion, your opinion, I know a lot of Wigan fans didn't agree with us, was harshly sacked. They brought Colo Torre in, they wasted, you know, what was it, eight, nine games, something like that. Sean Maloney's come in, looked as though he was getting them going again. Then they've just hit the buffers a little bit in the last couple of weeks. and. You know, I I think they've run out of steam. It's as simple as that. I just don't think they've got the quality in terms of on the pitch, forget about the payment issues for a minute. I just don't think they've got the quality to compete in this league. And I think the same can be said for the other two that are in the relegation zone with them at the minute. I think the bottom three will stay as it is at the moment. To be totally honest, we were 10 games to go. But for Wigan, it's just a sorry state of affairs, isn't it? Because you know, that, you know what they're going to do. They're going to be relegated. They'll boss League One next season. They'll come back up. And will the cycle repeat itself again? It's a club that, you know, has been through the ringer a lot in the last few years. And we seem to be saying that for a lot of clubs of late. It's too many clubs that are obviously getting into trouble off the pitch. But for Wigan's fans, they don't deserve this. The players don't deserve it either. And it's just made the, the you know, the challenge of staying up that hell of a lot harder. So for me, they need a miracle to survive this. They really do. Stranger things have happened. You know, it is the championship, it is football, anything can happen. But I just can't see Wigan surviving this. I really can't. No, me neither, George. Uh, back to the playoff race. Stoke City 3, Blackburn Rovers 2 on Friday night. Of course, a game I was at at the Bet365 Stadium. And Stoke City were by far and away the better team. From the first whistle, if I'm being completely honest, two really sloppy goals given away with Hover scoring at the back post twice. Twice Tyrese Dolan switching off, not tracking his runner, not passing him on in the, the sense of the second. That said, Blackburn Rovers should have had an absolute stonewall penalty for handball by Dwight Gale. It was the best save of the night. And that is a crucial moment because I will be the first to say Blackburn were really, really poor. Deserved to be 2-0 down. You were just hoping from a Rovers perspective they could hold on and get to half-time at 1-0. But that is a stonewall penalty. I don't know what a player of Dwight Gale's experience is thinking that he'll get away with that. But obviously, he somehow did. And that is a crucial moment in the game because if they get back to 2-1, just before half time, it gives them momentum, gives them belief. But Stoke with a better team, get no, we're not getting away from that. The third goal was 
shoddy, shoddy defending, but credit to Stoke again. As I say, a far better performance than Blackburn. Josh Laurent was the best player on the pitch. He was man of the match, a class above. Really good, skillful, athletic, powerful. It was too much for Travis and Buckley in that central midfield area. Smallbone was very good as well, but I thought Josh Laurent was the pick of the bunch. And it's the first time that Stoke have won back-to-back since November. They've won, October. I think it's now four of the four of the last six games. So they're really starting to build a little bit of momentum. They look a better team. Obviously, they did give away a couple of late goals and it made it a bit nervy at the end, but they, they deserve to win by far more than a one-goal margin. 3-0, 3-1 would not have been an unfair scoreline on Stoke. They were the much better team. They were aggressive. They were front-footed. They got skillful players in midfield. They look like they've got a bit more going forward now with that front three of Brown, uh, Gale and Campbell. It, it looks a little bit more succinct, a few more square pegs in square holes. I'd say Morgan Fox, I thought, played really well at centre-back in a back four, which is not a position we've seen him play. He's obviously played sort of as a left-sided centre-back in a back three before, but playing as a traditional centre-back, I thought he was really good because he's quite good at progressing the ball out of defence. He's a good passer of the ball. So I was really impressed with Stoke. I thought Rovers were really poor. It was an off day for them. Got to bounce back against Reading in midweek at home. He would part that as an absolute must-win as their final championship game before the break because then it's on to Sheffield United in the FA Cup quarter-final. But impressive night for Stoke, off day for Blackburn Rovers. Yeah, I watched this game in its entirety on Friday night and I think you've you've summed it up perfectly. Stoke wanted it, I think, more than Blackburn did. It was as simple as that. I was really impressed by Stoke and it was probably one of the one of the better championship games that's been on Sky in recent weeks, actually. To be fair, it was quite an enjoyable game for the, for the neutral. And Stoke, to be fair, you could see why They'd gone to Sunderland the week earlier and, and won five one. They played really, really well. Some really good football. You know, I looked at it and I thought, you know, this quality throughout this Stoke team. And you break it down, and Will Smallbone was the man that caught the eye for me the most. Thought he had a really good game. He should have scored when it was at nil nil when he struck the crossbar. And should he looked scored a, after that as well when he lifted he one up a, over the bar at two nil. Yeah, I think it was two nil just before half time, wasn't it? I think it was. I don't know, I've slept since then. No, it was the second half. <laughs> was it? There we go. Shows how much attention I pay. But no, I thought he played really well, you know, running from deep, creating chances, you know. Josh Laurent the same as well, obviously. From his perspective, a brilliant assist for the third goal, even though he bullied Blackburn Shocking. far too easily. So bad it was It was awful the way they allowed him through. But credit to him from his perspective, you know. Brilliant yeah, run and, you know, had the... Had the vision to pick it out and everything like that. So from that angle, you know, really good. And for Alex Neal now, he's got to look at and think. Finally, we've broken the curse. We've finally been able to record back-to-back games. Like you said, four wins in six, scoring goals quite frequently now as well. It must be said. I know they fired a couple of blanks in that run, but three against Huddersfield, three against Swansea, five at Sunderland, and three on Friday night. They are starting to flex their muscles again. You know, and you can see from the front three now they seem to have got a bit of an understanding. Everybody seems to know their roles. But the big challenge for Stoke now is they've got a really difficult crop of fixtures over the next few weeks. They've got Middlesbrough away, as we've said, Tuesday night. Then Norwich at home on Saturday before the break. And then straight after that, they've got Coventry away. Obviously, another team still in with a playoff chance. Still got to play West Brom at home. Still got to go to Watford as well. So they've got a difficult run. So I think for Stoke now, it's just a case of Let's see how we can progress to the end of the season. Try and get as many points on the board as possible. We're not going to go up. We're not going to go down. 
let's just try and finish the season with a flurry and take it into next season and see what we can build and go to the next level. You know, they've had a lot of issues at Stoke over the last few years. Managerial people, obviously, before Michael O'Neill, with Gary Rowett spending a lot of money, Nathan Jones didn't work out. Maybe the time has come where they can put a long-term plan in place under a manager we know who has got credentials at his level in Alex Neal. He's not had an easy time of it this season, it must be said. But it seems like he's finally finding a way to get a rhythm out of this team. And it'll be interesting to see how they get on because, you know, Middlesbrough away Tuesday night, he'll probably think of that and think, Let, let's go and have a go. Let's relish it. And, you know, we can throw the cat among the pigeons in the promotion race. We've got something to prove. We're playing well at the minute, you know. Let's see how far they can go between now and the end of the season because Friday night, I was quite impressed with what I saw, to be honest. I thought they played really well. Yeah, I would agree. It was a let-off for Blackburn because Norwich City couldn't take full advantage. They lost 1-0 at home to Sunderland on Sunday. Canary's missing the chance to get back in the top six. Sunderland inflicting defeat and a great response for them after their drubbing at Stoke City last week. I thought Sunderland were the better team in the first half. They took the lead through Abdullah Bar's first goal for the club. And particularly in that first half, I thought Patrick Roberts was very good. Dan Neal in central midfield, knitting things together. And then in the second half, they showed a different side. They It was a really battling performance. Back to the walls. Norwich shook the kitchen sink at them to try and get an equaliser. Luco Nine, Dan Bollard, Patterson in goal, all very important to the win. And considering the amount of injuries Sunderland have got, considering the, the result last week, considering the general momentum of the club and the the narrative around Tony Mowbray and his second half season syndrome. It was a really impressive result, really impressive performance at, at Norwich to go and win at Carrow Road. have been, been very good at home since uh, David Wagner came into the club. And I have to say, I do have to consider the injuries. You know, Ahmad didn't play in this one either. He was out. But they've got a lot of good players. Pritchard missing two. I thought they showed both sides of the game. They looked a real attacking threat. They looked dangerous in transition on the first half. And then in the second half, they, 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 they can battle out wins. They've got players like Bart, 9 Ballard, um, Dan Neal in front of the back four as well. They have got players that want to roll up their sleeves and get stuck in. And, and they can do the ugly side as well as the uh, more impressive side. So really, really good win for Sunderland. I thought they were impressive. I thought they were decent value. Although Norwich had a lot of the ball, a lot of territory. In the second half, they didn't work the goalkeeper enough ultimately and, and Sunderland deserved the three points. Yeah, very impressive win. And one, I must admit, I didn't see coming. Uh, you know, I had Norwich as my banker on, on last week's podcast and I was quite confident that that would come in, but obviously not. And Norwich, you know, after such a high of winning at Millwall last week, they were really disappointed that they've come back down to earth with a home defeat just when it seemed like they were getting their home form going again under David Wagner. But f- from a Sunderland perspective... A, a brilliant, brilliant result and a brilliant response to obviously being thumped by Stoke last weekend. It was something that they desperately needed. And, you know, Tony Mowbray will be thinking now, even though it's probably a little bit too late, could we use this to our advantage and spur us on to make a late charge to the playoffs? It's not impossible. It's only a five-point gap. I think personally, though, it's going to be a little bit too late. But, you know, you can't disguise, obviously, the fact that they've been struggling of late. One victory can't make up for that. But going to Norwich and winning proves that they are capable. You know, they're still a relatively young side. There's a lot of youth in that team. You know, the, the likes of Jack Clark are really coming into their own. He's really stepped it up this season. And, you know, the best is still to come from him, for example. Obviously, they've missed Ross Stewart for much of the season. You know, even though Ross Stewart obviously he scored goals this season when he's been fit, they've not obviously had him all season. In a way, 
as harsh as it sounds, him being injured for much of the season probably gives Sunderland a greater chance of keeping him for next season as, you know, obviously nobody wants any player to be injured, but I'm sure people listening get my gist and my meaning behind that. So, you know, if they can keep Ross Stewart fit next season, add one or two for one or two more flashes. They'll need another striker because, you know, they need some support in around him. I think Tony Mowbray's got the base of a good team. And, you know, at Blackburn over time, he did do a good job. It took him time to build his vision. Obviously, he went down with them, built them back up. And I think, you know, at Sunderland, he could potentially do the same because he is a good manager and we've seen it. You know, there's obviously this, the problem of this second half of the syndrome season curse that he seems to have got where his teams always seem to collapse. And to an extent, Sunderland have in recent weeks from where they were at. I think there's more but, mitigating circumstances for. There is, there were a lot the of injuries. One. The, the one at Blackburn last season, like obviously yeah. in my job, I've been looking at the numbers. That just fell that apart completely, didn't it? Was just just it unprecedented was. that collapse. Sunderland have had to put up with a lot of injury issues this year. Obviously, they had Ellis Sims recalled to Everton as well. You know, they were stripped of their first two strikers. So it's a big one. You know, they they'd lost three in a row going into that one. So it's a a really good win. It's quite a statement victory, to be fair. But the big challenge for Sunderland now is their next three games are against three members of the current top four. Really difficult run. Sheffield United at home, Luton at home, and then Burnley away after the international break. So big period for Sunderland. You know, you can't discount them out of the playoff race yet. It's mathematically more than possible. I just think five points with the fixture they've got might just make it a bridge too far. But, you know, for a team that was playing League One football last season, let's not forget, if they finish in the top 10, that's a fantastic season. Absolutely. Millwall there trying to get into the top six, George, and they're in it right now. They beat Reading 1-0 at the Select Car Leasing Stadium. Consistency in performances has been so much better this season away from home. As I mentioned earlier, they have picked up 25 points from 19 games with seven wins. Last season away from home, they managed 24 points and five wins all season. So with 10 games to go, probably what I'm guessing, five of them away from home, they've already got more points than they did this time last season. And that is the difference to why this year, I think they might finish in the playoffs and actually get over the line. They're just rock solid at the back as well. Once they get in front, you're not going to get back at them. There were some some big challenges and battles going on between Andy Carroll and uh, Cresswell. Um, I actually thought Andy Carroll left one on Cresswell in the first co- co- collision that they had. So I, did, I agree. I, I, I didn't mind seeing Cresswell give him a little bit back in the couple that <laughs> came after on the highlights. He's he's a bit naughty like that, Carroll. You remember the tackle on Christian Eriksen as well that is uh, mm. was fairly recently that ruled him out. But I thought he left one on him on the first one. So I, I quite liked him getting back up and doing the same um, for a couple more, just to let him know. You know, I'm not the young. Uh, centre back that you can push around here. I'm I'm a big physical centre back who can impose himself on strikers as well. So that was a really good battle. Of course, it was Volkslammer that scored the goal, his second goal of the season, a penalty kick. And for Millwall, it's just a, another really good victory. Especially, you know, I know Reading are very poor away from home, but at the at home in front of their own supporters, they've been a much better side this season, um, which is what's going to keep them up ultimately. Really good win for Millwall. And I say that that difference in a way form is the difference as to why they're certainly going to go much closer this season to finishing in the top six if they don't manage it, which I actually think they will, personally. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we spoke about Millwall quite a lot, I think, either last week or the week before, I think, when they'd won at Stoke. And we said, didn't we? And we've said it throughout the season that this is the best crop of players that Gary Rowett's had to work with. And 
it, it's it's showing, you know, they've been really, really good the last few weeks. And obviously they had that disappointing 3-2 defeat to Norwich last weekend. But on the whole, they've been in a really, really good run of form for the, you know, best part of since Christmas, really, to be fair. Like you said, it's that away form this season that's taken them to the next level. And you always know nine times out of ten, Millwall are going to pick up points at home. It's a rarity that they do lose at the Den. So to have been able to improve their away form this season it was only going to mean that they were going to get closer. And, you know, we've spoken a lot, haven't we, throughout the season. Everybody has about how tight the playoff race is. I think you've got to consider Millwall this year. I really do. They've got goals in the team. Zian Fleming, Tom Bradshaw have been really, really good. You know, Creswell and Cooper at the back have been excellent. They've just got a really good spine of the team. And, you know, Tom Bradshaw, for instance, Championship Player of the Month, that's a further testament to how well they're doing this season, certainly in recent weeks. And, you know, 10 games to go. Everybody's played equal games in the league now, every single team. Millwall, two points in front of Norwich in sixth at the minute. Can they can they hold on? I mean, you're obviously in the thick of this, covering Blackburn. You know, if it boiled down to a straight shootout, say, between Millwall and Blackburn to get a top six spot. Bearing in mind who, that they play each other on the last day of the season. Who would you lean towards at the moment? Right now, I think my top six would be Middlesbrough, Sheffield United, Luton Town, West Bromwich Albion and Millwall. I think Millwall have definitely got it in them. I really do, to to be honest. You know, I, I look I look at Millwall and I think, you know, like I've just said a minute ago, their home form is just superb by and large. They've got a big couple of games this week, back-to-back home games against two sides really, really struggling in Swansea and Huddersfield. I would be amazed if Millwall did not get six points from these two games. If they can do that to go into the international break, ahead of back-to-back games against West Brom and Luton, you know, this is a really big period for Mill. These next four games, they're going from, you know, two teams bang out of form to two teams chasing the same objective as themselves. So, you know, Millwall, I think this week, this time next week, we'll have an even clearer idea about them. But I would certainly, you know, if I found five pounds in the street, I'd be prepared to put that on them to finish in the top six. So I think they've definitely got it in them this year. They seem a lot stronger a lot more belief flowing around the place. And as you've said, the away form, you know, in comparison to last year, is is just a thousand times better. Yeah, just to just for anyone that's not aware, Blackburn's last two fixtures are Luton at home and Millwall away. So that's going to be a pretty decisive fortnight for all three of those teams chasing the top six. West wow. Brom, they're still in it as well, George. They beat Huddersfield Town 1-0, another typical Albion home performance. Penalty from John Swift after a clumsy tackle from Matty Pearson from behind. West Brom, they're not cutting loose, and expected goals of 1.41 is decent, but not outstanding when you consider that a penalty kick's probably, what, 0.75 of that. Um, so to create another half a goal, expected goals at home to the worst team in the league is not amazing. They're still not free-flowing in attack, but the last open play goal they conceded at the Hawthorns was in October. They've only conceded once full stop, and that was a free kick from Ben Burton diaz it's just a mental run that they're on at home, winning games, keeping clean sheets. Three points off the top six. And as I've just said there, I do think West Brom are going to get in the top six. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because they're called West Brom, as daft as that sounds, whether that's some bias in my head. But I just think a team that's got that good a defensive record, ultimately they will grind out enough points to get there. And I would back them 
personally to, to, to sneak in. I still think they're more likely than not. As I say, they've, they've got to fix the away form because that is what's holding them back. They are pretty unstoppable at home at the minute. They haven't got an awful run in either when I look at it. They've got to play Millwall and Sheffield United away, Norwich at home. But outside of that, those are the only teams that are sort of in and around the, the top six battle that they've got to face left. So personally, I think West Brom will get there. Maybe that's probably the you know the, the boldest of my four selections. It's a bit of a stab in the dark, a bit of leap of faith, but I just think they might get there. But more importantly, George, we need to talk about Huddersfield Town and off the pitch. Some pretty concerning reports breaking last night, Saturday night. They've obviously been up for sale for a while after Phil Hodgkinson's uh, businesses went bust during the COVID pandemic. They got put in um, administration. And Dean Hoyle, the club chairman who still owned 25%, he took the reins, was funding the club. Now, he's been trying to sell it. He's had to take a step back for health reasons. And there were suggestions on Saturday night that the club could be heading for administration, which would mean an automatic 12-point deduction. There are allegedly two bidders circling from America and also a Dutch consortium looking to buy the club. Now, the way the 12-point deduction would work, because I think some people remember this from um, a couple of years ago with Derby and with Bolton as well in not that much distant future, the cutoff is March the 23rd in terms of the minus 12 applying to this season. So unless they are mathematically relegated by March the 23rd, which they couldn't be, the 12 points will apply this season no matter what. So it won't be a case where it goes on next season, which was one of the situations. It was Wigan, actually, where that could have been the case. They can't be mathematically relegated before then, so it would be minus 12 this season. And that, of course, would all but send them down. It would put them 18 points adrift. They would be relegated. Now, if administration is inevitable then it would definitely be better this season, of course, to give the club a fresh start. We all think they're going to get relegated anyway. But it's just a huge mess, isn't it, from where the club was 12 months ago? How how do you go from one game away from the playoffs, uh, from in the playoff final, to getting promoted to the Premier League, to lose two of your star players, to lose your manager and make bad decision after bad decision with the appointments? Bringing Neil Warnock hasn't had the desired effect as much as we thought it was a great appointment at the time. We haven't seen that bounce. And it's a really worrying time for Huddersfield Town off the pitch as well as on it. The club needs a big reset. I don't think... It's the second time in back-to-back years we've seen a team go from the playoffs to relegation. And that scares me a little bit. It just shows how fragile the ecosystem of the championship is at the moment that a club can be so close to one end of the spectrum and then two or three bad... Um, footballing decisions or off-the-field issues in the case of Huddersfield now creeping in as well can suddenly derail a football club and set them back who knows how many years. We know how tough League One is again. How how long will it take them to get back into the Championship? Who knows? These concerns about the funding of the club are obviously not going to help for a rebuild for whoever comes in as the long-term successor in the summer. And right now, based on the success of this season, you would have to say it's hard to trust the people in charge of the footballing operations to make the right decision to bring in the correct person to lead Huddersfield out of the mire. Really, really worrying times for them. They're going to get relegated one way or the other and fingers crossed that it can be as painless as possible for those supporters that pro- that couldn't have possibly imagined such an abysmal 22-23 after a fairy tale season last year. It, it's remarkable, isn't it? You know, last season, as you said, they were one game away from the Premier League. It's just 
it's unbelievable to be quite honest with you. I did not see Huddersfield collapsing quite like this. Obviously, we expected a bit of a drop off with the players that they lost, and obviously Carlos Corbran walking out in the summer. We did expect you know them to drop off. I thought maybe they might finish somewhere between twelfth and fifteenth, say for example. They've just been absolutely atrocious. And you know, before we talk about off field issues on the pitch this season, they have been absolutely diabolical, haven't they? They really have. They've played such a you know a lifeless brand of football. They've looked so sluggish for so long. You know, their recent run, it's frightening. They've scored two goals in their last seven league games. Two goals. And, you know, but those two came one game, Neil Warnock's first game. He's not had the impact we all thought. They've, they've, they've failed to score in the last four. They've got Norwich up next, David Wagner's return. It really doesn't get much easier for them on paper. And, you know, Neil Warnock, to be fair, he said at the time, didn't he, that he'd have to be a bloody idiot to take this job on. And he said, I am a bloody idiot, so that's why I'm here. Looking at it now, you can see why he said it, because I don't think any manager could possibly turn this around, because the the squad is, you know, so deprived of quality, in my opinion. You know, I look, I look at Sorba Thomas, what he's done at Blackburn the last few weeks, just the sort of player Huddersfield are crying out for at the minute. And they let him leave on loan. You know, you look at the starting lineup at the weekend, and it it just does not fill you with confidence at all. Say that front four that they went with at the weekend, it just looks so so poor. I've seen League One sides with better lineups this season, to be fair. And you know, in a way, whether they whether they are sent down via a twelve point deduction, or by you know, football in merit of being very very poor, I think relegation is what Huddersfield need to press that reset button and build back with a brand new structure, a new manager. I've seen the fans absolutely going hell for leather saying, how is Lee Bromby still in a job at this place? Obviously, they've got really, you know, they've shown a lot of discontent and rightfully so towards the whole operation on the football side of it. And obviously now they've got this major worry hanging over their heads of administration. And, you know, like you said, in a way, it'd be better just to get it over and done with this season get into League One, get to the summer and rebuild back better because they've got some serious, serious work to do with that squad because, to be honest with you, I look at it, I just think it looks a, it looks a mess, to be quite honest. They are so deprived of quality. They've got no goals in the team. Defensively, they're not great. And, you know, Neil Warnock, I expected him to do better. I really did. But when you scored two goals in in seven games, there's not really much hope of you getting out of this, is there? No, absolutely not. Three 2-0 victories to round us off. George will start at St Andrews with Birmingham City. They beat Rotherham United 2-0. Really important win for the Blues. Really good first-half performance. A brilliant finish from Reda Kadra for his third goal in seven matches. Really good pick-up for them in January to add a little bit more pace to that forward line. A little bit of controversy around the second goal it came from what should have been a goal kick, but was given to a corner. Um, Chelsea Benny certainly let the referee know his feelings about that, and he'll have been even more livid when uh, when Long headed in to make it two nil, and that added to the Miller's frustrations. Ultimately, Rotherham still have an eight point buffer. They've got some good fixtures coming up next week with Preston North End and Cardiff coming up, and ten points also gives Birmingham plenty of breathing room. So both of these clubs will be pretty happy with where they are. 
but an off day for Rotherham. A, a, an encouraging day for Birmingham that just breathes a little bit more confidence back into the squad, back into the fan base, and a little bit more belief that they will just be just fine, which I think they will at this stage. 10-point buffer, as I say, that, that keeps them well clear of the relegation zone. Yeah, totally agree. Birmingham, obviously, they've they've had a bit of a bit of a poor run in recent weeks. You know, they had that win against West Brom in, in mid-February time, early February, and it looked as though they were going to really build on that. And then, obviously, things really turned sour from that point onwards. They went on a really poor run. But they picked up four points in the last two games, one at the weekend. They'll be hoping now that they can kick on. They're not going to go down, you know, as I've said. I can't see the three teams that are currently in the bottom three catching any of those above them. So I don't think anybody really needs to be that worried. Birmingham, for me, definitely not. You know, I've seen I've seen enough of Birmingham this season on occasions to think when they're at it, they are a, quite a good side. So just a confidence-boosting win against Rotherham. Obviously, very fortuitous with the second goal. It shouldn't have been given. First goal, though, superb from Kadra. And, you know, for John Eustace now, you know, with all the... All the trouble that's gone off throughout the season at Birmingham, all what went off at the beginning of the season before the first ball had been kicked. If they if they stay up, it's mission accomplished. To be fair, you know, and as said, didn't I at the start of the season that Birmingham fans are obviously fed up of being in this relegation, you know, in the mix season upon season. But I think this year, with obviously what's happened, I think they'll be more than satisfied to survive. And I think that's exactly what they're going to do. I don't think they have anything to be worried about between now and the end of the campaign because I think those beneath them are a hell of a lot worse than they are. Speaking of a hell of a lot worse than they are, Bristol City 2, Blackpool nil. A little bit of sympathy for the Seasiders in this one, to be fair, where the first goal for Bristol City, which is an absolute worldie from Andy Vyman. It actually came when Blackpool were having the best spell in the game. I watched some of this on Saturday lunchtime. Brilliant strike from Vyman, who was 32 games without a goal, George. That was only his fifth of the season, remarkably. He'll want to end the season with a good run and just bizarre given how brilliant and clinical he was last season. He started this season like a house on fire, scoring four goals very early on. I don't think anyone would have predicted it taking 30-odd games to get his next one. But what a great strike it was. I do have to say, Dominic Thompson is awful. And I've thought this for a while. Every time I watch Blackpool, he's the weak link. He just lets him come into his left foot, just stands off him. Curling finish. It's a sublime finish, don't get me wrong, but Blackpool just didn't get close enough to him. Again, you look at the team selection, playing Luke Garbert on the left-hand side with Thompson at left-back. It, it, it just doesn't scream attacking um, quality. It doesn't attacking intention. That's the word I'm looking for. Intent to go and win a football game when Blackpool need wins ultimately. Points not good enough for them. They're going to get relegated. They shouldn't have sacked Michael Appleton. And unfortunately, there's very little to get excited about. They're not scoring goals anymore. Jerry Yates missed a really good chance. I think he's 18 games without a goal now. And it's pretty bleak. It's pretty bleak for all the three teams. I really think that what looked at one point like it was going to be a real scrap to stay up, I think the three worst teams are going to go down relatively comfortably. Yeah, I would have to agree with you now. I really can't see any of those in the bottom three. I said a couple of minutes ago, can't see them getting out of it. You know, Blackpool... I, I, for one, thought the Mick McCarthy appointment was quite a good one. And I've got to hold my hands up and say I got it catastrophically wrong, didn't I? I really did not, um, you know, show much expertise analysis in that one, to be fair. He's he's not had the impact I thought Mick McCarthy at all. They, they've definitely regressed since they got rid of Michael Appleton. And it makes you realise just how things, how differently things could have been had Neil Critchley not walked out on them last summer to go to Aston Villa as a 
you know, as an assistant, then to QPR, and now look at him, he's nowhere to be seen. You know, it's strange how football works. So, a really, really bad season for Blackpool after what, you know, last year was a really, really encouraging first campaign back in the... Uh, was it their first campaign? It was back in the championship, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was. And, you know, this season they've just regressed at a rapid rate of knots. They've been so, so poor. Can't score goals. And, you know, like I've said, for various reasons for a while now, I just think the three that are currently down there will be the three that go down. I look at Blackpool's next run of games, you know, big game with QPR, you feel at home on Tuesday night, then Coventry at home on Saturday, then immediately after the international break, a big local derby with Preston. Still got to play Wigan, still got to play Birmingham, still got to play Cardiff as well. So they have got to play a few of the teams in and around them, but they've also got to play the likes of West Brom, Millwall, and Norwich and Luton as well. So they're going to have to really, you know, transform their fortunes and then some against the teams in and around them. But I think based on what we're seeing, it's just not going to be possible. So Blackpool for me, along with Wigan and Huddersfield, I think we'll be playing League One next season. Preston North End 2, Cardiff nil. Really nice goal from Tom Cannon, his second goal for the club. Really powerful finish. Bullies Cedric Kipre to get in behind. Really, really confident strike from him. The Everton Loney, who's not scored buckets of goals, but I think a lot of his build-up play, a lot of his endeavour, I think there's the growing impression that he might be about to, to catch fire. And I think Preston have been quite impressed with him, despite you know not having the same sort of goal impact that Cameron Archer had when he came in last season. Want to give a nod to Freddie Woodman, a brilliant save at 1-0 to deny Sorry Cabba, having been stitched up. After getting uh, getting some studs in the face after only five minutes, he managed to soldier on, pulled off on a remarkable save. And then Chad Evans made sure of the points in stoppage time. It's eight points in the last four for, Q- uh, for Preston North End, which is a big improvement on the form at Deepdale. The football is still a little bit dry, and it was in the first half of this game at 0-0, but they stepped it up in the second half. They're not losing as many games at home now, ultimately. And I say eight points from the last four is a definite improvement on the previous run. I think it'll buy Ryan Lowe a little bit more patience, which I'd obviously called for on the podcast a few weeks ago. And he needs a strong finish to the end of the season, even if it sounds stupid, if he could just flip a few results and lose a few more away from home and win a few more at home, I think it ultimately will appease the home supporters, which are the ones that pay for the season tickets. Yeah, most probably, you know, we've, we've documented Preston's home struggles throughout the season, but in the last few weeks, they've slowly started to turn it around, haven't they? Two wins in the last three at home. You know, the only game they didn't win in that run was a, you know, fairly respectable goalless draw at home to Coventry, who've obviously been going really well lately. You know, three successive clean sheets, they're up into the top half now. Are they about where they should be, realistically? I know we yes. had this debate a couple of weeks ago, obviously, your um, soundbite on the... Uh, on the Twitter page, generated a bit of traction and a few interesting comments, shall we say. But, you know, I think for where they are, it's pretty respectable for, for you know, for the players that they've got. Obviously, I'm just looking at some comments here from the fans. Results are papering over cracks, low still under pressure. But realistically, should he be under pressure? And someone's put here, it's rubbish football, but I'd rather that and the, than the three points. So I don't really know what a lot of Preston fans want. I appreciate every team wants to see their team playing well, playing vibrant, attacking front foot football. But, you know, if they're getting results, which, you know, for the most part, even though a lot of it's been away, they have done this season. You know, the clean sheets have been there to roll to see. It's just, you know, they've not been 
that vibrant on the front foot. So maybe if they can, you know, bolster their attacking ranks next season, they might be able to kick on next year to the heights that Preston fans want They've because defensively. The top for most exactly, of the been without well, Emil Reese for so so long. You know, defensively, Jordan's story has been absolutely magnificent. Freddie Woodman's arguably one of the best goalkeepers in the league this season. He's wrapped the clean sheets up rapidly. Been far improved as well. Yeah. You know, the, the spine of the team, the base of the team is really, really, really good. So it's just a case of being a bit more, you know, full throttle in the in the final third. But, you know, they've had to rely on loanies, they've had injury issues. Some obviously Ryan Lowe, he needs some sort of financial backing in the summer which obviously Preston, you know, have not done for a long time in terms of spending big money. It's not something that's going to change either. But if they can be shrewd in the business and find something, then I do think they can kick on. I understand Preston's fans' frustrations. Every football supporter wants to see their team play well, wants to see attacking football. But if they're finding a way to dig results out, which they have done to a degree this season, albeit the home form has been questionable, I do think Preston can kick on next year. But... Fans, obviously, you know, they pay the hard-earned money. They want to be entertained. That is the ultimate reason why we all football. We want to be entertained. But if you're getting results, you know, can you be too disgruntled? So, interesting times at Preston. But overall, last few weeks have been better. One draw in the Championship this weekend. That was Coventry City. One Hull City. One Oscar Stupinan's really good finish was cancelled out by a strike from Matty Godden. And that rounds up this weekend's Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, time for our shocks and bankers to finish off the podcast. There's a full slate of Championship action in midweek, but of course we're going to look ahead to the weekend action. Um, What have you got as your shock and what have you got as your banker this week? Well, for my banker, I'm going to go with Middlesbrough. They're at home to Preston. I just cannot see anything other than Middlesbrough scooping all three points in that. You know, they've been tremendous at home, you know, for reasons we we spoke about earlier on, they've been absolutely superb. In terms of a shock for the uh, for the weekend, and you know, one or two might say this isn't a shock because they've been in decent form of late. But I think I can get away with it. I'm going to go for Stoke at home to Norwich. You know, there's eleven points difference between them at the uh, no nine points difference between them at the minute. Seven places separating them. I think that's allowed. So I'm going to go for uh, Middlesbrough as my banker and Stoke as my shock for the weekend. My banker is going to be Millwall at home to Huddersfield Town. Millwall, imperious at the den. Huddersfield, flimsy home or away. So I definitely fancy the Lions to eat up the Terriers. And then for my shock, I'm going for Reading to beat Hull at home. As bad as Reading are away from home, and they've not been great at home recently either. A lot of the points tally came earlier in the season. still think that they've got enough to stay up. I still think that Hull are a little bit hit and miss. I think they're, they're definitely improved under Liam Rossini for where they were. But I just wonder if Reading might be able to get over them uh, with their home form this upcoming week. So I'm going for Millwall to beat Huddersfield as my banker and Reading to beat Hull City as my shock. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at champchatpod 24 and a massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. 
This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.